Hello, this is Tom Stever with Soil Smart, a podcast from the Soil Health Partnership. In our podcasts, we're talking soil health, why it matters, the ag practices that foster it, and the farmers who live it. Today, we're talking to Brian Remke, a Soil Health Partnership farmer in Northeast Indiana and Northwest Ohio. Remke is a firm believer in using cover crops and no-till farming to make consistent improvements to soil health. Brian, tell me about your farm and how you got started working the land. My earliest recollections of a farm goes back to when I was a kid. My father and grandfather were farming 300 acres. I can remember my dad having filter strips uh, along the ditches before it was a real accepted practice, not necessarily getting paid for them, but he's seen the value in filter strips and uh, has always been one to do his best to conserve the uh, soil. Jump forward to about the year 2000, and we made a commitment to make no-till work. And I use the word commitment because that's what it takes. If you say you're going to try something, you've got a less than 50% chance of success because you're not willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. We have made no-till successful. We surround ourselves with trusted advisors. One of those trusted advisors is our agronomist, who has been a huge part of this, getting our uh, soils balanced with our calcium-magnesium ratios and getting us in touch with other farmers who have made no-till work. But today we farm 3,800 acres, all of it no-till. Our goal is to get 100% cover crop seeded, We came close last year. I'd say it was about 96%. We had one field that was not seeded because it's in a USGS program monitoring edge of field water, and they requested not to have cover crop on that so they could compare the two fields. We are primarily cereal rye, barley. We have tried annual rye. Relatively newbies in the cover crop. We started in 2014 and 2015. We had a preventative plant of 1,500 acres that gave us the opportunity to really get into cover crop. And sitting here today, we are less than 10% planted on corn, which we're done as far as corn planting, only about 10% done on the bean planting. So we may have some, no doubt, we will have opportunities to try different species of cover crops this summer. So you view this as an opportunity? Well, I have to. I have to in order to keep a positive attitude. When you're given lemons, you make lemonade. In 2015, when we had 1,500 acres, that's the very first time we ever had preventative planting. We sorted it out, talked with our agronomist, got to know a seedsman that supplies cover crops and was very successful in getting some cover crops with radish, cereal rye, and canola growing. Really had the neighbors talking, and we learned what we are about to face this year may not be able to take money to the bank, but it is going to be a learning experience that will serve us well for the years to come. One of my brother's goals, I know, is to uh, raise a cover crop species that will supply some of the nitrogen for the corn crop so we can greatly reduce the amount of nitrogen we use, which any farm operation knows nitrogen is a huge cost in producing corn. In addition to all that, we live in the upper Maumee watershed area, which feeds into Lake Erie. And sitting here today, I'm looking out over 140 acres of cereal rye that's chest high, that is not planted, and feeling good about the fact that that cereal rye is through all this rain that we've had. And locally, we just, the last 12 months has been the wettest 12 months on record. So, to give you an idea just how wet we are. 
And knowing that that cover crop has cushioned those raindrops coming down to help prevent soil loss, farmers have been deemed eternal optimists because no matter what happens, the typical response is, well, there's always next year. For us, last year was our next year. We had excellent yields, 15% better than we'd ever had. So the Lord has blessed us, and I'm sure he will continue to bless us. You referred to no-till as a commitment that you made back in 2000. I want to know what were your motivations for beginning a no-till? Several. One is reduced manpower requirements, reduced cost of equipment. The bottom line, I can raise five or ten bushel less corn and still be competitive because whether we like it or not, our banker deals in dollars. So I may not have the bagging rights down at the uh, coffee shop, but I really don't care about that. Uh, What I'm concerned about is making the most return on our dollar investment. The other thing with no-till is we had toyed with the idea for many years prior, even tried it a couple of times, and that's where we learned that trying just doesn't get the job done. And as time went on, there was greater improvements in attachments for planters, which really helped. Roundup was a big factor in being able to clean fields up. Now that we've gotten into cover crops, Roundup is one of the primary tools we use to kill the cover crop. We have looked at the possibility of crimping, although have not gone that way for several different reasons, one of them being with the profit margins so thin, you've got to pick and choose where your next experimentation is going to be. The whole idea of no-till, farming 3,800 acres with just family, being able to get the job done timely, no-till was a must because I just can't imagine the amount of extra equipment, the amount of hours in the tractor seat it would take if we were still farming like my father and grandfather did. Before we began today, you mentioned soil structure and you put a line under that. So tell me about that and why that's important to you. Where we're located, we have a lot of uh, heavy clay soils. And when we started in the no-till, we thought we was doing the perfect thing. And it was a step in the right direction. However, we've gotten ourselves in somewhat of a monoculture where it's corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans, and we've gotten into some compaction issues. So with the uh, cover crop, we're throwing in another mix of variety to help break up that soil. With chest-high rye out here, cereal rye out here, I can only imagine the amount of root structure that's going down. That root structure is creating channels. It's helping earthworms. With those channels being created, it's going to be much better sponge to take in and hold rain. The soil structure is a big deal. We do have what's called a vertical tillage inline ripper that we use like on end rows and possibly uh, lanes where we drive our grain cart, but very, very, very limited. Last year, I think we used it on maybe 20 acres. Whenever you run a piece of steel through the ground, you're disturbing that earthworm's channel in his home and the other biologicals, which we are just now starting to learn about other biologicals. Brian, I know organic matter is important to you. What has been the result of the practices that you have employed on organic matter? We've been working with agronomists for 18 years, and since we have been using cover crops, he has been tracking our organic matter. And I can sit here and conservatively say that we are increasing organic matter by one-tenth of a percent per year. Now, over a decade, we can gain a full percentage point of organic matter. That's living soil. 
it was always stated in the past, you can't build organic matter. Well, we are proving that you can, and that's a positive thing. And another thing that's sort of in the back of people's minds is carbon sequestration. That may very well be a viable revenue source in the future that firms do indeed get paid for. I have heard that there's some models out there. I know people are working on it. And in times of slim profit margins, an extra 5 or $10 an acre could be huge. What challenges have you had applying practices that contribute to soil health? Challenges that we've faced is manpower. My nephew, John, is the one that seeds the cover crop, and that's primarily his job. When the ground conditions are fit, I have seen him run 24 hours straight just because you don't always have the opportunity to get ground conditions. We can harvest when the ground's a little wet just to get the job done, but seeding into a real wet soil isn't ideal. Last year, one of the challenges was just simply getting the seed, cereal rye, went up by about 25% in cost because they had to truck it in from North Dakota. One of the other things that we are currently looking at, and we're going to harvest some of this cereal rye for our own use, because we see down the road that more and more people are going to be going to cover crops. This may be another revenue stream for Remke Farms. We have in our background, starting with my grandfather and father, a seedsman history where they raise certified seed. And we've done it every year since on a uh, contractual basis. This is not new to us. This would be a very good fit for us. We just don't know the economics of raising cereal rye compared to corn and soybeans. So those two challenges, one is the manpower. But there again, you got to make a commitment. We're going to make this happen. We're going to move people around in our operation to make it happen. The second thing was this availability of seed. And Brian, what do you see that indicates that you're moving the needle on maintaining or improving soil health? Well, the biggest thing I see is rising organic matter. That is an undisputed scientific test that shows that we are making a difference. Our yields have not diminished. One of the things, too, that tells me that we're going the right direction is the fact that just two years ago, crop insurance didn't allow you to put down cover crop because they felt it was going to be in competition with the growing crop if you interceded it. Now they've backed off of that. So that tells me that the industry as a whole is starting to accept cover crops, which is a good thing. With this USGS site where they're doing field monitoring, that's going to be an ongoing process. To date, all we have is a baseline. We're very hopeful that as time goes on, that will give us some answers as to what best management practices really make a difference. It's an ongoing thing, and anybody that's been involved in any kind of technology side of things, if you're not comfortable chasing your tail, you better not start down that road because it's all the time evolving. And what we thought was the state of the art just five years ago has been replaced. Well, it's come to the time where I'm going to ask you what else you'd like to talk about. Is there anything you'd like to add to this, Brian? Just a note to sort of draw it all together. We are on this earth but a short period of time, and we should do everything that we can to improve what we have inherited from previous generations to pass it on to the next generation. Unfortunately, our society has become a living for me society, and in agriculture, that's going to be a death sentence. So we need to take the proactive approach 
to improving things for the next generation, whether that be cover crops, installing drainage tile, which in our area is very, very important, or keeping up a set of buildings, building a heritage, passing on the desire to be a good steward. These are all important things. And I can only hope and pray that when I get to those uh, pearly gates, the good Lord will look at me and thanks for the blood of Jesus, he'll look past my mistakes, but he'll look at me and say, you were a good steward of the ground I gave you, thy good and faithful servant. That's what it's truly all about, Tom. Well said, sir. Brian Remke, a Soil Health Partnership farmer in Northeast Indiana and Northwest Ohio. Thanks for joining us for Soil Smart. To find more podcasts and information from the Soil Health Partnership, go to soilhealthpartnership.org or subscribe through iTunes or Google Play.